Are you ready? Good morning, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us today. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your word and spend some time reflecting upon it. Father, we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would be directing our thoughts and even our emotional responses as we come to your word. Father, take everything and use it to direct us in the direction that you want us to go. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about how to avoid getting deceived. And I think that intuitively we all know this is very important because nobody wants to be deceived. But before we continue uh, with the subject, I'd like to take a little bit of a detour. Earlier on in Ephesians, Paul taught us that God provides for the needs of his church, its feeding, its growth, its correction, its encouragement, through apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors, and teachers. And Craig, Trevor and myself recognize that we are fulfilling that role of pastor and teacher at Harvest Church. Now, this is not to say that there aren't the same giftings elsewhere in Harvest and that there aren't people who fulfill a pastoral role or a teaching role. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we have been given that responsibility by, by God for Harvest Church and we will one day give an account to God for that. We'll be accountable to Him. So in a sense, the buck stops with us. And for that reason, we take our preparation for these messages very, very seriously. We spend a lot of time um, studying the Word, seeking God to find out what it is that He wants us to say to harvest. And since we take it so seriously and God has given us this responsibility, we would hope that you would also um, take it seriously as well, what we have to say. Um, make a lot of effort to listen carefully to what we're saying and also make an effort to make sure that you don't miss out on, on any of the sermons. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be listening to other preachers and teachers, but what I am saying is that if God wants to say something specific to harvest, if he wants to bring a specific encouragement or correction, whatever it might be, he's not going to use somebody like Tim Keller or John Piper to do it because John Piper doesn't live in Harare and he doesn't know the people at Harvest Church in the same way that we know you. And he doesn't love you the same way that we love you. And so this is the reason why God chooses people who are part of the local church to fulfill those different roles. Now, what has this got to do with deception? It's become very clear to me over the last few weeks that God wants to warn Harvest about the dangers of deception. And I know that God has been speaking in the same way to Trevor as well. And you would have seen that from the sermon that he preached last week, where his big idea is that your lifestyle does matter. It really does matter. Don't be deceived that it doesn't matter. And the reason why I think that we need to be emphasizing this uh, warning about deception at the moment, well, there, there are three reasons why. The, the first one I've already mentioned, which is that the Holy Spirit um, is speaking to Trevor and myself about these things. And then 
The second reason is that um, Paul commanded us in the passage that we studied two weeks ago, he commanded us not to be deceived. And Satan is entitled the deceiver. Isn't that significant? He, one of his titles, one of his names in the Bible is the deceiver. In other words, it's his job to deceive Christians. And he's been doing it since the dawn of time. He deceived Adam and Eve, and he's been doing it ever since to human beings and to those who are trying to seek to follow God. So God has been speaking to us about this. Satan is described as the deceiver. And then third of all, Trevor reminded us two weeks ago that we are living in the end times. And in describing these times, the Bible tells us that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of not a few, not of some, but the love of most will grow cold. We are living in difficult times. The general trend is that things are pushing against us and we have to swim against the stream because of the increase of wickedness. So we need to be that much more careful and on guard. So how can we steer a course through these treacherous waters of deceit? And the answer is by careful living. This is what Paul says in today's passage. He says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. So the main characteristic of a careful life is that it is a life characterized by wisdom. So here's where we're headed today. A careful or wise life that will protect you from deception is a fruitful life, a discerning life, and a spirit-filled life. A fruitful life, a discerning life, and a spirit-filled life life. Let's read from today's passage, which is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. Number one. A careful or a wise life that will protect you from deception is a fruitful life. What does Paul say? He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And here it comes, folks, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We need to be productive. We need to be intentional. We need to make the best use of every second that God has given as a gift to us. This amazing life that he's given to us. Making the best use of the time. And in verse 8 of the previous passage, this is what Paul wrote. He said, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then Paul goes on to say, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, 
if we want to be productive, if we want to be fruitful, we need to be doing what is good and right and true. Because Paul says the fruit of light is found in those things. And then, of course, the other side of the coin, what is the opposite? Well, a fruitless life is a life that is characterized by the unfruitful works of darkness. And who gets to define what is good and right and true? Well, we've already talked about this. It's God, isn't it? God decides. And how do we know which works are works of darkness? Once again, God tells us in his word. The unfruitful works of darkness, as we learned two weeks ago, are sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and then also filthy, foolish, or crude talk. And Paul says, do not be deceived, for because of these things, those unfruitful works of darkness, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So, if you want your life to be fruitful, then don't practice those things. And don't partner others in their disobedience, but rather do what is good and right and true according to God and not according to the culture. This is so important, folks. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is doing it. And right is right, even if no one is doing it. Many years ago, when, when our kids were still small, Gail put that quote up on a notice board in our kitchen, and it still sits there today. I don't know who, um, who came up with it. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Right is right, even if no one is doing it. So, an obedient life is a fruitful life. If we want to live a fruitful life, then we need to live an obedient life. Now, this is very significant. Because the implication is that the measure of your success is the measure of your obedience. If you want to determine how successful you are, you need to look at how obedient you are being to God and what is good and right and true. And of course, this is different to the way in which the world evaluates success. Society sees material wealth, marriage, having children, happiness, security, health, sex, and pleasure as being measures of a productive life. And don't get me wrong, these things are not wrong in themselves, but often the means to obtaining these things involve disobedience to God, overriding what He defines to be good and right and true. So, for example, your business might be struggling because you are sticking to what is good and right and true. You are being obedient to God. And in the world's eyes, your business may not be seen as being fruitful. But in God's economy, it is. The measure of your success is the standard. The standard of your success is the measure of your obedience to God. Maybe you're still single because you, you, you will not partner with a non-believer. You're doing what is good and what is right and what is true. And it seems to the world like your life is not a success because you haven't got married and you haven't had children. But the measure of the success in God's economy is your obedience to God. So, careful and wise living, the kind of living that will help you to avoid deception is fruitful living. But there's more. It's also discerning living. That comes to point number two. We need to have a discerning 
life. Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is like a restatement of verse 10, which says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Folks, you know, it's one thing to say that a fruitful life is one that is obedient to what is good and right and true. But it's another thing to be able to discern what is good and right and true in any given situation. And this is why Paul told us and taught us earlier on in Ephesians that we need Jesus to be our teacher. We need to have him on board on a daily basis at the center of our hearts, helping us to discern what is good and right and true. Because sometimes we feel overwhelmed. We're just like, Lord, sometimes your ways are so different to my ways. I'm just not too sure what be, would be the good and right thing to do. What makes it possible to have Jesus as our teacher? It's a renewed spirit of the mind. That's what Paul told us earlier on. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And remember we said that the spirit of the mind is the attitude of the mind. In other words, we need to have a submissive attitude. We need to be saying, Father God, I want you to teach me through having Jesus as my teacher in my heart. And I'm prepared to submit. I yield myself to you. I'm willing to listen to you. I've renewed the spirit of my mind. And then Jesus will be there, right at the center of our being, helping us to discern what is good and right and true. So, a careful or wise life that will protect you from deception is number one, a fruitful life. It is number two, a discerning life. And then thirdly, and I think most importantly of all, it is a spirit-filled life. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So what he's doing is he's using drunkenness as a symbol of all the unacceptable practices of the children of darkness, all the things that are forbidden for us as Christians. And you know, drunkenness is such an excellent symbol. Why? Because how many people that you know are fruitful when they're drunk? How many people that you know when they're drunk are discerning? No, discernment just gets thrown out of the window. People do all sorts of crazy, foolish things that they regret afterwards. It's impossible to be fruitful and discerning when you are drunk and have lost control. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. So don't do any of those things that Paul listed earlier on in the chapter. Because when you do, you'll be throwing out fruitfulness. You'll be throwing out discernment. Instead, says Paul, be filled with the Spirit. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, what it isn't. <clears throat> Christian often, Christians often use the analogy of a glass of water to explain being filled with the Spirit. And they say, well, maybe a person is a quarter filled with the Spirit or half spilled, filled or three quarters or filled to overspilling with the Spirit. The idea being that we need sort of topping up with the Spirit when we run low. And this is wrong for two reasons. First of all, the Spirit, as we know, is a person. So we either have Him or we don't. That's the first thing. The second is that that glass analogy also implies that maybe a person could be born again 
and not have the Holy Spirit. So they're empty and they need to be filled up with the Spirit. But listen to what Paul says earlier on in Ephesians. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, remember that our salvation is by faith, having believed, here it comes, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. How could a person be born again and not have the Holy Spirit as a seal of ownership and a guarantee of their internal inheritance? It, doesn't, it, it couldn't happen, according to those verses. So the Holy Spirit is a person, and people either have the Holy Spirit or they don't. And it would be inconceivable for a born-again Christian not to have the Holy Spirit. So if that's what it isn't, what is it? Folks, this has to do with control. Being filled with the Spirit is giving the Spirit control of your life on a daily basis. And so Paul uses that analogy of being drunk on wine. And in some ways, that experience is similar but opposite to being filled with the Spirit. Why is it similar? It's similar because when you are filled with alcohol, you have, when you're drunk, you've handed over control of your life to the alcohol. You no longer have control of your inhibitions. You no longer have control of your limbs. You're drunk. But if you're filled with the Spirit, you've handed over control to the Holy Spirit. And so a Spirit-filled person hands over the control of his life to the Holy Spirit. There's more evidence that being filled with the Holy Spirit has to do with giving Him control of our lives. That word filled, exactly the same word, is used in other places in the New Testament. A person can be filled with grief. In other words, they are dominated by grief. They're controlled by grief. Grief is filling the screen of their life. Or in Acts 13.52, you can be filled with joy, which is the opposite. Or in Romans 15, 14, you can be filled with knowledge. And you know, these examples are not foreign to us. Because we, we intuitively, we know what it's like to be filled with joy or to be filled with grief. Those emotions are dominating or controlling our life. And so a person filled by the Spirit is controlled by the Spirit. Here's another example. It comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So being full of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit into the desert are the same thing. They go together. So being filled with the Spirit is being led and controlled by the Spirit. So the bottom line here is, folks, that you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must allow Him to control and guide you in every area of your life. Your life is like a house with lots of rooms. And if a person simply occupies your house rather than filling it, 
they don't necessarily have access to all the rooms. And an occupant doesn't have a say about the running of the household. He doesn't have that much influence. Years ago, when we lived in Eiffel Flats when I was a little kid, my grandparents used to come and visit us from Harare. And we used to gear ourselves up for those visits. My grand and grandpa didn't just occupy the house, they filled the house because we were hanging on their every word. We were wanting to spend time with them. We were trying to figure out what would suit them best. Would they like to shower in the evening or would they like to shower in the morning? And of course, everybody's time in the bathroom was juggled around to suit that. They filled the house. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit? into all the rooms of your house? Does he have a, a say about how things are run in your life? Does he control your life? Or are there areas of your life where you don't allow him any access, let alone control? So how do we get filled with the Spirit? We've talked about what it isn't. We've talked about what it is. How do we get it? The form of the Greek word, a verb, be filled, tells us three things. First, it's a command. Second, God does the filling because it's in the passive. It says, be filled. So the filling is happening to us and God is doing the filling. And then the filling needs to happen on a daily basis. We know that because the, the Greek form of the verb is in the present tense. So the fact that it's a command tells us that we've got stuff to do. The fact that God does the filling tells us that he has stuff to do and the fact that the filling needs to happen on a daily basis means that we both have stuff to do every day. So why is it a command? Well folks it's a command because we shouldn't be doing the things that are opposite to being filled with the Spirit. Do not be deceived. <laughs> Sexual immorality, filthiness, all of those things, they don't go with being a Christian. And to be filled by the Spirit, we must be forsaking those things and turning towards God. The other reason why we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit is because we need to ask for it. We need to have the right attitude of heart. Remember we've said that we need to be obedient. We need to have an attitude of submission. The fact that God has stuff to do, I think is probably the most wonderful part of all of this. Because it means that when we turn to God and ask Him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We say we're prepared to hand over control to the Holy Spirit. He does something amazingly powerful in our lives. The Christian life is always a partnership. It's always a partnership between us and God, but God carries the bulk of the load. He's the one who makes it all possible. He's the one who made it possible in the first place because he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be born again and actually receive the Holy Spirit to be a, a, a place worthy of the presence of God. He did all of that and now on a daily basis he is filling us with his Holy Spirit and giving us the power, the engine power if you like, in order to live in a way that pleases him. So we need to hand over control to the Holy Spirit every day. Think of the Lord's Prayer. How did the Lord teach us to pray? He started off, the very first thing He said was, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy will be done. In other words, you get to say, you have the control. 
And handing control over to God means being obedient every day. So we hand over control and we ask God to fill us. We just say, Holy Spirit, please come and fill me today. Come over, come and, come and, come and take over control of my life. So what it isn't, what it is, how we get it. And then lastly, what it looks like. The first thing is obviously behavior that goes with being children of the light. Do not get drunk with wine, wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. In other words, behavior that goes with, with being a child of the light, as we've talked about, that's what it looks like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know whether the Holy Spirit has control over your life, just have a look at your life and see how you're living. Because if that drunkenness, which is a symbol of all those things that God has forbidden, is in your life and you're practicing them, then you need to do some more work. You need to do some, some more praying and asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. The other thing is that it, as we allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly, this is put in a parallel verse in Colossians, um, we teach and admonish one another. So we spend time together, we listen to teaching, we encourage one another, we worship with other believers, singing and making melody in your hearts to God. Giving thanks is another one. We can also see here that submitting is another one. Ordering your needs below those and the rights of other people. And this is huge, folks because it strikes right at the heart of our problem in relationships, which is self-centeredness. And next time we're going to go on to see how this wise life manifests itself in um, our relationships with, with our husbands or our wives, in our relationships with our children, in our relationships with our employers. And that submission that mutual submission is at the heart of it because it addresses the problem of our selfishness. So that's what it looks like, folks, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would just like to close by encouraging you not to be deceived. The way you live really does matter. And you can look at the way you live and see the extent to which you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of us are going to find that a little bit of a difficult, a little bit of an uncomfortable experience. It needs to be. But the great thing is that when we turn to God and say, here I am, I want to hand over control. I want to be obedient. I want to be submissive to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Then as we carry out our responsibility, He more than carries out His responsibility and gives us the power to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. Shall we pray? I think it would be good um, if you would like to be filled with the Spirit. And remember, this isn't a once-off situation. Sometimes it, it's very powerful when we do it for the first time because there's just so much that needs to be done in a sense. But really, we do need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. So. If, you, if you've never prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let me pray with you first of all. Father God, I'm a child of the light and I want to live a life according to 
your requirements for a child of the life, but I, I'm not going to be able to do that in my own strength. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Please fill me now. And I ask in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you would fill everybody who's praying this prayer with your Holy Spirit. Just continue and, and just say to the Lord, Father God, I want you to control my life. I want to be too obedient to you. I want to be submissive to you. So please come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I know that on the basis of faith and on the basis of these prayers that God will do that. He delights to answer that kind of prayer. And then also for, for those who are Christians, maybe before you ask to be filled with the Spirit again, you just need to, to mention to God some of the, the areas where you failed, where your behavior hasn't been right according to what is good and right and true. So just, just spend a moment doing that in the quiet of your hearts. Father, we thank you that we are in right standing on, with you, even though we failed because of what Christ did on the cross. But we also want to, not only to be declared righteous, but to live righteous as well. So we ask you, please come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We want to be controlled by you. We want to be obedient to you. We want to be submissive to you. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for listening and for tuning in. And uh, in the week ahead, we're, we're obviously going to be praying for each one of you and trusting that God will do amazing things in your life through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Goodbye for now. <coughs>